everybody as well, your kindness throughout this week. Uh, I mean, this throughout this weekend already. For first off, well, good evening. Hope we're doing well this evening. What a great crowd on this Sunday night. I didn't scare you off Sunday morning. That's a good thing. Some of you might be wondering, do you have happy messages, Adrian? Do you like say something funny every now and again or whatever it be? However, it is a blessing. And thank you so much. You know, the um, folks have been very kind, like I said, after the service and different things. And what a blessing it is to have liberty. And uh, I don't know, maybe you're faking it, but y'all seem to be listening well, which makes me go longer, which is not good for you. However, <laughs> I'm trying my best as we go through and make sure that obviously I'm being sensitive of time. And just a quick word about the revival in itself. You know, I understand, I understand we're already fighting against the world and the flesh and the devil. And so I'm not trying to fight people's schedules as well. I just tell you as far as where I am, um, as far as revival services, you know, I understand um, when my family went to language school and uh, we were studying Spanish and whatnot and we were just attending a church, obviously, I understand that revival week is a very busy week. And with that being said, you know, services start at 7. Uh, my, my goal, by the grace of God, which I can pretty much well assure you of, if, uh, if I begin at 7, I mean, if the serve begins at 7 o'clock, if you're not at your car by 8, that's on you. If you want to fellowship, fellowship away, my friend. But you will have the opportunity to easily be at your car at 8 o'clock. I say that especially for those with children. Um, I don't want you to think, you know, wow, it's going to be, you can go ahead and schedule your time and stuff around it. I do believe that God honoring, God will honor that and also um, honor the time that we do spend around his word. And I uh, don't plan on mincing words as far as going through. It's, you know, going through each passage and stuff that we'll be looking at throughout this week and the questions we shall be addressing. And so I just want to make sure that was clear. And also, let me just say as well, I'm looking forward to that ice cream thing. <laughs> I like food. I really do. It's my weakness. It really is. Um, my wife and I are foodies, and uh, I tell you what, man, that's a, 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 an outrageous surprise. My soul, I'm, I'm excited about that already. You can move to Friday, maybe do one Friday and Saturday, <laughs> you know, however. Uh, as, we, as we look tonight, though, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, time to find this passage. Um, we're going to be looking this evening in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Turn your Bibles there. If you don't know where it is, just find Matthew. Turn left. Eventually you will find it. And so just keep on going at it. Habakkuk. Not a very common passage of scripture here tonight. But I believe definitely will, definitely will be a help to us. Book of Habakkuk. You know, as we're answering different questions as we go throughout this week, I really want to address one that is obvious. One that is many times often said and often thought through. And Habakkuk makes this request. Now, by way of introduction, many of you that study literature may know this story. It is the story of the monkey's paw. Has anybody, does anybody know that story? The monkey's paw. You can put your hands down. The monkey's paw was written by, I believe it was W.W. Jacobs. And as he wrote the, the, what it was as a fictional story, but this fictional story spoke of uh, this mummified monkey's paw that was given to a family, Mr. and Mrs. White, and they had one son whose name was Herbert. They lived together, again, this is fictional, but whoever possessed the monkey's paw would be able to be granted three wishes. The only thing was is you be careful how you receive those wishes because you might just get what you wished for. Well, what happened is the family took it. They really didn't believe the myth, and so they took it and said, all right, well, what would you say, honey? And he looked at his wife, and he says, let's, 
let's wish that our, the entire balance of our house is paid off, the entire mortgage. And so I think the amount was 200 pounds. I don't remember what it was. But he says, for this amount, I wish for that amount. The next day, he went to work. As he went to work, his son worked alongside of him. The son was involved in a terrible accident and actually claimed the son's life. The company did not want to claim responsibility for what had happened, but for compensation as a settlement, they gave him to the amount, to the penny, of 200 pounds. When they realized that what this was doing to them, they would get their wish, however, you did not know how it would be granted unto you. You can continue to read the story on your own because they wished for the son to get back and a lot of other things happened in that story. However, I want us to think it in this context. Is, I'm not saying be careful because that's too strong of a word, but be aware of what you pray for. Because you might get what God is, get, get, at what you are asking of God. You see, sometimes when we think and we pray, we say, God, here is what I want. I want you to end this pain, end this suffering, end this whatever it is in our world. But we got to be prepared for how God answers that request. This is very rare. Habakkuk. I love the minor prophets. I know everybody finds them to be a little strange and boring, but I love them. And as I look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk is the only prophet that you see in the Old Testament that, as far as one of the minor prophets, usually a prophet would do this. He would get a word from God, and then he would then deliver it to the people. That would be normal. Uh, Amos, everybody, that, that's what they did. Habakkuk is the only prophet who actually goes to God first and tells God, literally, God, what are you doing? It's the only prophet that sees that see it does that. He speaks on the behalf of the people. It's rare. Now, see, what's going on during this time is pretty insane. You know, as you look at, this is the, we're ending about this time in Israel's history. Um, you, you're, you're familiar with David and Solomon. Now this kingdom has split. As the kingdom has split, you know Babylon's getting ready to come and take them captive. Right at the end, in the southern kingdom, things had gotten pretty bad. In fact, the Torah was being neglected. People didn't care about the things of God. You looked around and you would see families were in absolute mess. I mean, put some observations together. If the God-fearing Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, imagine the infidelity and the immorality that existed among the unsaved community. Listen, what Solomon did in the multiple wives was wrong. It was against God's plan. Yet God still can bless nonsense. And God is still so good and long-suffering. However, by the time you reach the New Testament, you find that many times the family structure was so messed up. The average person in the New Testament had already been, the average man would have already been through 16 divorces. Would see you people walking around, imagine all the children in that case. It was so perverse. You didn't even know who mama was, daddy was, or whoever. And in this time, it was even worse. 
He's walking around, Habakkuk's walking around, and he's seeing leadership is corrupt. There was an obvious class of people during this time. There was the poor, and there was the rich. And here's how the rich remain rich. It was through corruption. They would remain rich, meaning they would go to the poor and charge exorbitant prices, ridiculous prices. And as they recharged the prices, it wasn't necessarily to make them more rich, even though that was a motivation. The more the motivation was to keep them poor. If I keep them poor, I can continue to enjoy my riches. What was happening was corrupt. What was happening was wicked. And honestly, here is Habakkuk's prayer. I'm trying to believe that there's a God with so much tragedy around me. I'm trying to believe there's God when there's so much hurt and so much pain and so much wickedness. I, it was a couple weeks ago, our family was preaching in South Carolina on our way to preach 0.6 miles away from the church. We saw the yellow tape being put out of a church shooting. 0.6 miles where I was that day. God, where are you in such pain, painful times? Habakkuk goes to God on behalf of the people. And as you go through the book of Habakkuk, really there's a couple only ways to split it up, is Habakkuk makes a, a cry or a lament unto God. Then God responds. Habakkuk then gives another lament. God responds. That's how the book is laid out. So as Let's read his first lament. Habakkuk, chapter number 1, verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. He cries to God. God will answer him in verse number five and going forward. But I want us to see this. I don't want to tell you the title of the message yet. Because it comes directly from the passages we will be reading. But as we reconcile in our mind this question about God being good during tragic times, let's begin to pray. Father in heaven, I don't want to misrepresent you and who you are. I want to take your name in vain. Well, I pray, Lord, that you'd use the time we have together. Well, there are some who are wrestling in their mind. God, where are you in the midst of all of this? I do pray, Lord, that you just help us to learn from Habakkuk's life. I pray, though, if this is a message for the credit card for some, that, Lord, you would just so sink it deep inside of the fiber of their being. And I pray, Lord, that you would empty me of myself and fill my spirit to say that which you'd have me to say during these moments we have together. For as in Christ, let me certainly pray it all. Amen. You know, I, I guess I, I normally don't do this, but with there being questions that we're answering this time, you know, I really want to go through a lot of questions. How do you love someone you hate? You know, the lady we're on this week. Let's talk about the question of depression and anxiety. 
Let's go through questions that I believe to be applicable for us because the Bible has the answer and Jesus is the answer. And I want us to understand these things. But as we reconcile this here this evening, you see first his laments, Habakkuk's lament. I believe that God would rather have you yell at him in faith rather than walk off in silence. I'd rather, I believe that God would rather in your deepest moment of pain scream out to him than to just somehow just check off the box and check out and suddenly we stop seeing you on Wednesday and suddenly we stop seeing you on Sunday night and, and suddenly you begin to fade off of the scene. I believe he'd rather have you yell at him yet believe he's there. Look at what Jesus said on the cross. Look at what he yelled out on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen to his prayer. Listen to the lament of Habakkuk, of a man who's not being disrespectful with God, but he is lamenting the reality of what he sees inside this world and trying to reconcile in his mind that this is somehow part of God's plan. As you look at this, there is a difference between venting and lamenting. Venting on Facebook is not lamenting like Habakkuk did. Venting with text messages of how ridiculous the world is is not calling upon God. I have no problem with us talking to our friends and neighbors after we talk to our God about it. Who knows more about my current situation? Who has heard more from me? Has it been that they have heard that God has heard me in my prayer closet for weeks now? Or has it had been I've talked to my friends about it for weeks and over? You see the lament, but God answers. God answers here in verse number five. Remember, you be careful what you pray for. <laughs> Be ye, behold, ye among the heathen in regard. This is God speaking in wonder, marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Could you imagine God saying, hey, guess what? I'm going to do something amazing. I am going to do something that literally Habakkuk is going to blow your mind. You think I'm not there. You think I don't hear you. I am going to do something incredible. Here is what I'm going to do. Read the passage for lo. I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar. For they shall fly as the eagle hasted to eat. They shall come for all, come all for violence, their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sin. Do you know what God says? I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind and answer your prayer of why all this is happening. I am going to have your enemy, the Chaldeans, come and take you all captive. Whoa, that's not what I was asking for. <laughs> that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking... A little bit extra measure of grace, <laughs> you know. Maybe, you know, some, maybe make some people who are the bad people in town become the good people in town. You know, no, 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 no. God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to work a work. 
and understand this is still part of my work. God says, you see, God might, as he is answering this prayer, is not answering the prayer the way they think. Have you ever prayed and asked God for something and it seems you got the answer, but it didn't seem to be the answer you thought he should have necessarily been throwing down the pike after what it is inside of your life, after Habakkuk then hears this and sees this. Ooh, takes a deep breath. In verse number 12, he responds to the second response, the second lament. He says, art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them? that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. You see, as he comes now, and then he, he then says to, to the Lord, he accepts the fact that the punishment for all of their wickedness, because you understand that God does punish evil. I mean, in this time, it's mind-blowing. I know it's easy to think that in our generation, in our society, we have it the worst, and, and what's happening, and, and corruption, and different things, is, this is just something unprecedented. Could you imagine during this time what was happening is it would be equivalent to contextualize would be our president would go on national television and take one of children and put them on the hands of an altar and burn him alive in front of on national television as a sacrifice to his false god you see if that was taking place then we could have a comparison of what we find was happening here in this time and in this town but as you look at this you see corruption abounding and so when he hears that this is God's response he says I know more that you can take and ordain that ordain judgment you can take the Chaldeans and they could still be a tool in your hand to be able to go about and do your will. God can get glory from anything, my friend. I know it's hard for us to rationalize in our mind, but there could be, but to God, he can recycle anything <laughs> and use it for his glory. I remember we were sitting at the airport, and uh, as we were sitting there, the kids, we, we couldn't find a seat, so we're all sitting on the windowsill. We're eating in different things, and as I was eating the last bit of my food and stuff, I was balling it up, and it had stuff and all these things inside of it, and I looked, and I was getting ready to drop it inside the trash can, and as I looked, it says, oh, that's a recycling bin, you know, and, and so I went and had to go and find a trash can, and because there's things that are recyclable and things that are not recyclable. There is no not recyclable with God. There's never a time. And, and even that which is off, even wicked, God says, I have ordained the wicked for the judgment. It's, it's hard as we look at this, but I do find this is not, according to commentators, this is not the key verse in the book of Habakkuk. However, I believe it to be the one of the key verses because if you don't see this verse in Habakkuk chapter number 2, verse 1, I don't believe you have the story of Habakkuk continuing to go through. Now you say, Adrian, when we get to the question, what are we going to get to? We're, we're getting there. We have to build what is taking place in the conversation between Habakkuk and God. He says in chapter number 2, verse 1, I'll read the verse and we'll explain. It says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So here's what he says. Lord, I'm going to trust that whatever it is, okay, you're getting ready, you're going to send the Chaldeans. I know you can then use the Chaldeans to punish us. And he's saying, so what do I do? What, what should be our response? And God says nothing. 
Apparently, there is a gap of time between these chapters. So Habakkuk says this. You know what? I'm going to set me a watch. And I'm going to sit right here until you answer me. I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to keep on praying even though I can't see it. I'm going to keep on asking you, God, because I am going to believe, I am going to trust that you are still good and that you still want to give me for me to know more about you. So I will set a watch and I'm going to wait. I understand when we talk about the greatest trials of life, typically we'll bring up health struggles, financial struggles, family struggles. as a concern would be the waiting struggle. When you've done everything God's told you to do and God just says, wait. Just wait. It's so hard, especially in a microwave society and in a, a response to where, you know, we, we, we can't even wait for our food to be done and being inside the microwave before we pop the door open. <laughs> In a society where we want it now, God is then saying, I need you to wait. The reason why waiting is such a struggle for Abraham and the other patriarchs, you know why it was? Waiting is a reminder that you and I are not in control. It is a reminder that is out of your hands. He says, Habakkuk. Wait. I believe it's key. Because he continues to seek God during this waiting period, then God answers. Chapter number two, verse number two, the Bible says this, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon the tablets, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end of at the end of it, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold his song, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So what does he tell him to do? He says, get you a pen, get you some paper, write this down. And as you imagine, as he's getting his answer then from the Lord and God, he says, there's something that's going to come and it's going to come. It's going to be an appointed time and it will not tarry. And he lets them know, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Typically, in English, many times, the expression, which is nothing wrong with the expression, it was used this morning by a pastor, and we all know exactly what he means. You mentioned this morning, that pastor mentioned that Brother Adrian and his family live by faith. We typically know what that means. Typically, we know that it means that financially, that means your, your salary, you don't have a salary, you live by the giving of God's people. But let, I let you know this, that living by faith is way bigger than just our material needs. It's way bigger 
See, as you look at this, he's saying here is the answer. The just shall live by his faith. You see, my eyes can look around and see the Dylan Claybolts and see the World Trade Centers and see the Fergusons and see the nonsense of this world. We can see it. However, when God says you can't look at with your eyes, the just shall live by his faith. Look, as you look at this, there we were in, uh, where were we? I've got to remember the illustration. I think we we're in Michigan. No, West Virginia. Our truck had broken down. And when our truck had, was needing some assistance, uh, we, we talked to the pastor, and I said, hey, do you have a mechanic in your church? We need somebody to look at the truck. And uh, they brought somebody out. And I'm sorry, they brought somebody out. We went to somebody, and he said, oh, right before you go, just so you know, the mechanic is blind. Really? It's a blind mechanic. I've never, I had never seen one. I, he said, I'm serious, Adrian. You're going to have to see it to believe it. But he's a blind mechanic, and he knows vehicles well. It's like, all right. <laughs> I pull up in my truck, and he's working on a car. And I, he's working on the car. I come up behind. I kind of just clear my throat and different things. He comes up. He's working on this car. He comes up, and he, you, you can tell there's a little something in his eye, but his eyes were open. He came to me. He wasn't even legally blind. We're talking completely blind. He came up. He knew where I was, and he stood in the approximate area to where I was, and he began talking to me. So I hear that you're a preacher. You come, and he starts talking to me like normal. He was amazing. As a man, he knew vehicles so well. He had to wait for the vehicle to cool off after I drove up. But aside from that, he knew vehicles so well that he moved around his shop like he knew, like he could see. It was amazing. Hey, do you need something? He walked over here, and he literally would grab it. He would then say, oh, I need that tool over there. And literally, he knew his shop, what drawer it was on, and he would grab it. He came to my truck and said, oh, I need my step stool. We'll be right back. He went over, grabbed stuff. You see, the man was blind, but walked around as if he could see. It was so amazing. We have to walk around as if we cannot see. We have to walk around. And trust our God, even though we see foolishness and nonsense and hurt and pain. And trust God. He says, the just shall live by his faith. Our eyes are the greatest enemy of living by faith sometimes. See, see. We will have the same conversations unsaved people have about the depression in the world and the sadness of this world. And that question even later on this year, I mean later on this week, as we look at what is our response to what we see in our world today. However, as we look tonight, how do we reconcile it inside of our mind is that he says in this passage about about the just shall then live by his faith. As you continue the rest of the chapter, you see the five other woes that are given. And that's where the introduction even came from of understanding how perverse and how wicked the time was. And then the, the Habakkuk closes in chapter number three with the final prayer of Habakkuk. So he's heard God's, what he said. He heard the way 
he is to respond. And then as he hears this, a man who came so boldly to God on behalf of the people, the man who was so, so much out of all the prophets, he doesn't touch Zechariah. He doesn't touch even like an Isaiah. I mean, it walks up. Almighty, and then says the things he says on the behalf of the people. This man got some guts, and now his prayer changes after a conversation with God. This is Psalm. Habakkuk 3 literally is. It's just introduced just like a psalm. And as he then sings this final, well, song slash prayer unto God, it says in chapter number 3, verse number 1, a prayer of Habakkuk. The prophet upon Shijanoth. Now, I've got the Hebrew scholar in the house here, and so I'm going to check my, I have to sit here and study my study like, yeah, this is right. <laughs> As I'm sitting here, but it's a musical term. I don't know much about music, but uh, during this time, there's a, uh, from my reading, there's, you know, I don't, I, from in, in regular songs and music, I have seen, and this is what my music teacher told me at least, all right? That there is sometimes beside the music, there's like a little P, which means you get really soft in the music. And there's like an F, it means you get really loud. And there's like FF or something like that means really, really, I was really good at that part. You know, the getting really, really loud or whatever it is. And, and as you have the things of music, see, this would be like a sign like that. Sit up, it's like a sign. And what that sign would be, musicians would be like, the way it's to be sung is with gusto. <laughs> it, it's not... You know, oh, no, 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 no. Not the little P that means softly, you know, reflectively. No, no, no. This is where you sing it out. And as he sings this out, he says this, verse 2, Oh, Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Oh, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Make known in wrath, remember mercy. He expresses in this loud, exuberant praise. Remember his initial prayer was look around us. Look at all the foolishness. Look at all the wickedness. Look at what I see on the news. Look at this. See, see now his speech and his prayer has changed. And he says, Lord, revive thy work. Revive thy work. If you live by your eyes, revivals are kind of dumb. They're kind of dumb. If you live by your eyes, it's kind of like, what's the point? You really think that a couple people getting together, meeting and talking about the Bible, and meeting and coming closer to God, is really going to make a difference in the whole scheme of things? Do you really think that a mega difference in our government? Have you not seen the news? I mean, it does seemingly to make no sense. You live by your eyes. If you live by what you just see. Look, I ain't no Superman. I get discouraged. I think, Lord, am I even doing anything? <laughs> Lord, is even working? Is this, 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 this even profitable to give my life to certain things? It seems the harder, the harder I work, the more dumbness comes, comes down the dumb trail. Why on earth, God? And you see, that's when I realized this is more of the Adrian starting to get in the way of what God wants to do. And he says, revive thy work in the midst of the years and make known. And even though he knows what's coming, he asked God in wrath, remember mercy. 
You know, it's very challenging to try to preach through an entire book. I can't really do it. But, uh, oh, I'm going to hush up just a moment. So we got to hurry. Verse 17 and 18. It says, although the fig tree, listen to what he says, shall not blossom. Neither shall fruit be in the vine. I told you, I'll listen too well, and I get a lost track of time. <laughs> the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and He will make me to walk upon high places. To the chief singer on my string instruments. So what he says is this, Lord, if the fig tree doesn't blossom, if you choose not, that if, you, if the fields that we have out here yield no more meat, he says, I still will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in my God because I will choose, will choose to live by faith. This is interesting because you have to sing a song till your praise is louder than yourself. You got to sing a song. You, 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 you praise God even when you seem you don't see God. You know, in Psalm 137, there's a, there, that's about... They're singing a song, and how can we sing a song in this strange land, and how can this happen? How can we do these things? And it's reminiscent that they're sitting there at Babylon. As they're sitting there, Babylon's taking them over. They're sitting at this river. They're sitting this river. They said they needed a song from us. How can we give a song in a strange land? And they're talking about all these things, and the only way you can do it Singing a song in the midst of all these things, I need, I need to close, but as you sing a song in the midst of these things, um, if you go to the Old Testament, we'll close it. When you go to the Old Testament and look during the battle of Jericho, remember as the people surrounded Jericho and God told them this amazing game plan of go and, you know, march around the wall? <laughs> And, I mean, you got to understand, the city was pretty big, so it's like, you know, imagine how much of time it takes to get you and the kids up and get ready to go to school. Imagine getting up all the million people going around the city, you know. It was an all-day affair. I mean, it took, it took forever. Get everybody marching around. Every day they do it. On the last day, they got everybody to go. Remember, the, remember they, they were told to do seven times, go around that city. Remember the instruction that was given them on that last time. When they went around, they were to shout. But listen at the wording. They were to shout first. Then the walls would come down. You know what that means? Shouting was a sign of victory. That means, kick the water bottle over me. <laughs> oh, good. It's water this time. <laughs> Shouting is a sign of victory. Shouting was what you did. When it was over, you were done. And so literally, here is the scene. On that seventh time, you have people literally looking at a wall. And you know what they got to do? This is going to seem really dumb. Ah! They're yelling at a wall. That's what they're doing. They're yelling at a wall. It's like, what happened to these people? The seventh time, they lost their minds. 
as they go around. But do you know what they had to do? They had to shout as if they had the victory even though they couldn't see it. They had to believe that God was going to bring it down even though they had never thought, even though they never could conceive that that was what's going to do it, that they had to trust in God. Listen, the just shall live by his faith. The world can fake a lot. We can go through and maybe they can fake a little happiness and fake a little contentment, but you can't fake this, baby. You can't get to the point of being able to look to God and say, hey, I trust you in the midst of this nonsense. You just and you shall live by his faith and able to shout first, even when. You don't see the end result. There are some who are to get in their car, and you don't know how you're going to pay your rent, but you get to get in there and sing a song and trust God to the point that your song is louder than your vision. Some of you might have to go out here, and even though your kid's away from the Lord, you're going to have to get inside your car, and you're going to sing a song, and you're going to have to trust God and say, God, I want my praise of song to be to you, and I'm going to trust you as if you've already brought them back. I'm saying... What's faith all about if you get it? What's faith all about if we understand it? It's not faith. How we are going to live. The just shall live by faith. By the grace of God, maybe not live by our eyes, but by our faith. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible.